Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, hello, hello. We started on time. Woohoo! Come on, guys. Give us a cookie. That's exciting. I'm excited. I'm sure you are too. We've got a great show today. Now, Rishi Sunak has it all fallen apart. Now, a cost of living crisis, that's a term, a phrase we're hearing bandied around a lot. It's plunging families and people and households of all different shapes and sizes into crisis. Inflation's at its highest level since 1992. Real household disposable income is forecast to fall at the fastest annual rate since records began back in the 1950s. That's after, and this is very important because it's a point that I make a lot, after the longest squeeze in wages since the Napoleonic era. So think about the Battle of Waterloo quite a long time ago. This is the longest squeeze in living standards for working people since that era. Real average earnings in 2027, uh, so that's... half a decade away, are projected to be barely any higher than they were on the eve of the financial crash back in 2008. So, big opportunity for the government. Open goal. Well, not open goal. It's a difficult set of circumstances, uh, partly because of the government's own policies, but nonetheless, an opportunity to do something about it. So what did Rishi Sunak did? Well, he would have gone on and trumpeted the fact he lowered fuel duty, uh, raised national insurance contributions, money off council tax bills, and in 2024, 1P will be taken off for a general election off uh, the income of income tax. However, however, bear in mind, this is in the context, and this is why government policy, rather than just what they're trying to do is blame everything on the war in Ukraine, uh, national insurance, they obviously have height and the scrapping of the universal benefit uplift last autumn plunged hundreds of thousands of people into poverty. If you look at the fuel duty cut, only 7% of it goes to the bottom fifth of households, whilst 33% goes to the richest fifth. Now, the 1p cut to income tax in 2024, whatever you think about cutting income tax, is obviously irrelevant in the here and now. For people on median incomes, living standards obviously squeeze. For those at the bottom, it's even worse. Now, according to the Institute for Fiscal Studies, a non-working single parent of two kids will be trying to get by with universal credit payments that are 8.6% lower in real terms than before the pandemic and 17% less than when the temporary 20% a week uplift to universal credit was in place. So what we'll see, obviously, is a massive surge in poverty. Now, we can see actually here, this is, for those listening on the podcast, we've got a graph showing the impact of the spring statement on working age households. If you ever wanted to see class war in graph form, here it is. It shows uh, the impact, the kind of the uh, the percentage change on income, income change uh, percent per year, but depending on where you are, uh, 
the for in, in the decile. So this is where you divide up the population, the bottom ten percent, the top ten percent, and then all the ten percent, the deciles in between. And it shows that those at the bottom are hit most heavily. Five uh, percent cuts, uh, and as you go up the graph, it becomes less uh, severe. So that just shows the impact of this spring statement on working people, obviously, who will now suffer the terrible consequences. Now, let's just have a little look at Rishi. Sorry, I played this so many times. It's a little two-second video here of Rishi Sunak in a supermarket being a man of the people. Knows the answer to that. Yeah, he... Um, he tried to scan his credit card on one of those scanner machines instead of the Coke. I don't think he buys many of his own produce normally. He is, of course, the richest MP in the country. Um, now, Richie Sunak's also been in a bit of bother over, as I mentioned, he's the richest person, the richest MP in the country because he married one of the richest, fa into the richest families in India. Let's have a little look at him being interrogated over alleged links between his wife's firms and Russia, given the clampdown taking place on businesses uh, and links to Russia. You, you mentioned that, and you mentioned the pressure on Russia. Um, it's been reported uh, that, that you've got family links to, to Russia, that your wife apparently has a stake in the Indian IT consultancy firm Infosys. Um, they operate in Moscow. They have an office there. They have a delivery office there. They've got a connection to the Alpha Bank in Moscow. Are you giving advice to others that you're you're not following in your own home? That's not as a, I, I'm an elected politician, and I'm here to talk to you about what I'm responsible for. Uh, my wife is not. She is not, but but equally, if you, if you you know, as as a country, we are asking taxpayers to fund the UK's support for Ukraine. We are asking people in the UK to give their homes up to Ukrainian refugees. Where it, whereas it appears your family potentially could be benefiting from Putin's regime. No, I, I really I don't think that's the case. And as I said, uh, the, the operations of all companies are up to them. Uh, we've, we've put in place significant sanctions and all the companies. <laughs> it's just a look on his face. I think we've, we've all been in a situation where we want the, the ground to open up and devour us. That was the look on Rishi Sunak's face there. Um, okay, so this is an open goal for the Labour Party. I mean, look at it. I, we've gone through this. Look, the, 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 this is the worst squeeze in living standards for working people in in history, in modern history. I mean, I, I guess if you go back a few centuries, there were more severe squeezes. In modern history, this is the worst that people have suffered. So we are seeing surging prices, wages falling in real terms. Obviously, social security entitlement has been cut um, in real terms, huge numbers of people driven into poverty, but it's not just those at the bottom being hit, it's people in the middle uh, who are being hit as well. Obviously, it's boom time for those at the top who happen, of course, to be the donors for the Conservative Party, who fund the Conservative Party in the, in the City of London, the hedge funds, the big businesses, open goal for the Labour Party. Just a little clip here. This is the cut through line that Labour settled on. This is the Shadow Chancellor, Rachel Reeves, responding to the Spring State. Now, I understand that the Chancellor has a portrait of Nigel Lawson above his desk. Well, today we've got an energy price crisis. Record prices at the prump, pumps. Inflation is back. The truth is, he's not Nigel Lawson, Mr Speaker. He's Ted Heath. Yeah! With an Instagram account. Yeah. 
was that about then? What's she doing? What's she up to? Teddy, I mean, who's that appealing to? I just, I just think, like, if you went around a random community in Britain and said, well, what do you think about this? Rishi Sunak. He's not Nigel Lawson. He's Ted Heath with an Instagram account. What expression do you think is going to be on voters' faces? Do you think they're going to be like, what a zinger? I've looked up. I actually looked up. It was quite interesting on YouGov polling. I don't think, by the way, there's a big problem here because it's true a lot. There'll be older voters who know Ted Heath. And there's obviously a section of the population who know Instagram very well, but they don't really overlap. Like the people who know a lot about Ted Heath and know a lot about Instagram is not a big part of the electorate, to say the least. But also I looked up on YouGov and Ted Heath's not even unpopular. Uh, He's the least unpopular Conservative Prime Minister of the last 50 years. Uh, Margaret Thatcher, obviously very polarising, but she has a net negative rating. Uh, Theresa May has a big net negative rating. So does David Cameron. So does Boris Johnson. Um, so it, it just seems odd that they would have settled on that, which they then briefed clearly to their outriders in the media who all went on Twitter, went, oh, wow, what a zinger. It's annoying. I know people should be, look, I think people are going to be like, some people are like, oh God, why are you whinging about Labour, Owen? Look at what the Tories are doing to the country. But it is sort of their job to oppose and offer an alternative. And you know, this might seem petty, but I don't think it is petty. I think it's just a case of these are supposed to be the grown-ups of the room who, uh, you know, know how communication the media work, unlike those dastardly kids in Jeremy Corbyn's office. And they're coming up with lines which I do think will appeal to kind of centrist dad geeks who it seems as though the entire political strategy of the... Le- There's nothing wrong with political geeks. I'm a political geek. But I, I, the entire strategy of the Labour Party seems to be geared towards that that demographic and um, because i really don't think that is going to frame what the tories are doing to the country in a way that resonates with people at all and i it, again it comes down to what's labor's alternative and vision because otherwise i mean one poll showed that labor have lost their lead which they had after the tories set themselves on fire because they broke the law over and over again and lied about it um and now the level pegging again during all that during this look at the state of the country I mean, you know, I'm not going to say any other leader should be 20 points ahead, but I kind of did just say that. But I'm just joking. It's just trolling, but also kind of think it. Um, right, that's enough for me. Before I bring in our brilliant, brilliant uh, guest who we had to talk about the state of the economy and, and alternatives, uh, if you're watching live, click on the YouTube link and press like and subscribe. Um, you can put questions to uh, the brilliant guest gary who's about to come on i'll introduce him properly using super chat that will support the show as well and you can support us on patreon.com forward slash owen jones 84 that keeps the show on the road that keeps this video channel podcast and the documentaries we do we've got another one coming up we'll talk about that uh in a bit uh but that that's all thanks to you so we we can't do this because we're not obviously funded by billionaires uh for some reason <laughs> they're not interested in supporting us um so uh but also listen to the podcast we put so much effort uh, loads of people listen to the podcast so many thousands of people every week which we think is brilliant and uh do download the podcast and leave a review that's enough from me let's bring in gary stevenson who is a former Citibank trader and actually by the way was the most successful Citibank trader at the time and then he came instead of a a sinister millionaire who wants to rob everybody of their hard-earned money, he became he's become a, a fighter against inequality, which is great. So, Gary, what an honour. Hello, mate. Thanks, Owen. 
Okay, so the rich. How are the rich doing? You, you're somebody. You, you made your money in the city of London. You know the rich. You know these people. So how, how's it, how's it going for the struggling rich? Yes. So I wanted to give some statistics about the spring statement and how the rich are doing. Okay. So in the spring statement, the biggest, the most expensive thing announced by the government was cutting the income tax. That's going to cost the government six billion pounds a year, which is 133 pounds per adult. Now, in the last two years, the government printed 450 billion pounds, which went to the rich, which is 10,000 pounds per adult. So the amount of money accumulated by the rich in the last two years is 75 times the amount of money being given back in the income tax cut here. So basically, the rich have never, ever done anything like as good. It's by far the biggest ever single year increase in wealth of the rich. It's a 22% increase, which is about seven to eight times the normal rise. I think it's very important people understand this because we're, we're all looking around how on earth we fix this crisis. The rich have never, ever, ever made anything like as much money as they made in the last two years. That money came from government. That is the way we have to solve this problem. What I love about this, it was clear, it was crisp. People are saying Gary's a hero. <laughs> That's good to hear. It's good to hear. So let's just talk about this in terms of um, in terms of this period of during the pandemic, where I mean, if we look across the board in the EU, we saw, for example, the uh, I think trillionaires added a trillion uh, pounds to their to their wealth. We've seen the boom in wealth in the US. So there's obviously a you know this has been a good, the pandemic's been good. Like a record number of British billionaires were created during the pandemic. Why? What's going on? Why is there so, so much boom time for those at the top, including, as I said, the sorts of people who fund the Conservatives? Why are they doing so well? So that is because the economic impact of COVID was absolutely enormous, like phenomenally enormous. We essentially shut the economy down for, you know, the best part of two years. The costs of that are phenomenal and the government footed the whole bill. But it's important to understand where the costs land, right? So at the very beginning of COVID, I knew the government's going to print an enormous amount of money, truly enormous amount of money. And I wanted to get a bit Sherlock Holmes on this and figure out where does the money end up? Because it's quite interesting, right? A lot of that money was, for example, given to furloughed workers. But if you look at furloughed workers, they ended up poorer than they were pre-COVID, right? So they've been given this new money, but they're not getting their wages. So where does the money end up? So I followed it back one step through the system. Okay, well, is it with the companies who normally pay the wages? Well, it's actually not with the companies because they've been shut down. So if you follow it back one step more, you find the money has stayed with the customers and it's customers who have accumulated a huge amount of money during COVID. But it's not all customers, right? Because if you're an ordinary person and most of your expenses are rent, mortgage, food, bills, you still have that expenditure. The expenditure which was banned during COVID was basically luxury expenditure, things which are non-essential. So who has the biggest luxury expenditure? It's rich people. So there was an enormous accumulation of cash, basically exactly proportional to how much luxury expenditure you have, which means the rich accumulated literally hundreds of billions of pounds. And it's, I'm going to keep nailing this down. It's 10,000 pounds per adult. So if you don't have 10,000 pounds, someone's got your 10,000 pounds. And probably someone else does have your 10,000 pounds because all the statistics show that's been accumulated by the richest people. So we're talking about the richest 10% in society stacking up literally 100 thousand pounds each that's for every adult so if you've got a family father mother three adult kids they've accumulated half a million pounds during covid the amount of cash accumulated by the rich during covid is absolutely phenomenal and in my opinion that is the cause of this inflation look if you give a huge amount of cash to one small sliver of society 
the rest of society suffers and the way they see that is inflation. If you want to fix this crisis, you have to take that money back from the rich. So, I mean, this is really, because we'll talk about, because I know we, we title the show, I mean, obviously we like, I, I, it's been a, a kind of pet peeve of mine, the fact that Rishi Sunak was so popular for so long, which was ill-deserved because it was based basically on furlough. We had a terrible economic cri- uh, crisis, social crisis because of a public health crisis. The government had to intervene as they did across the Western world with a furlough scheme. People got government money arriving in their bank account and it was attributed to Rishi Sunak. So they were like, mm. Rishi Sunak, free money, great. Uh, he did raise other things like the uh, eat out to help out, which spread COVID and killed people, let's be honest. Um, and he also tried to delay uh, restrictions, um, which ended up being inevitable and more severe because Rishi Sunak helped delay them um, because he thought they would be bad for the economy. Um, obviously, it was worse for the economy for COVID to go let rip. But the, the point I'm making is just interesting because he's hubris. The hubris has hit his yeah. nemesis finally. And people have seen him for what he is, which is a someone, a, 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 a very rich Tory who hates the welfare state. What, what I'm interested in the economic model, what you, because obviously we'll come on to Rishi Sunak's failures to deal with it, but because what you did is you bet that interest rates wouldn't rise, uh, which lots of people thought they would at the time, because you thought basically the fact that you have an economic model where, um, where wealth is sucked into the hands of a tiny elite uh, mean that the the purchasing power of working people are suppressed. And that means as well, we get lots of personal debt in the economy, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, we'll talk a bit more about Rishi later if we get time, because I'd like to talk a little yeah, bit about that. But, um, uh, so yeah, if you create an economy where a huge amount of income and wealth goes to the rich, one simple fact, okay? Ordinary people spend the vast majority of money they make in their lifetimes. Very rich people spend a very tiny percentage of the money they make in their lifetime. So if you take money that instead of flowing to ordinary people, it's flowing to rich people, you get a much, much higher saving economy. And if the rich are extraordinarily rich, then they have this huge amount of income, which they're constantly trying to invest. But at the same time, ordinary people can't afford to spend. So they're not going to build businesses if people aren't spending. So what they do instead is they buy existing assets. They buy people's houses, they buy existing companies, they buy stocks and shares. And also, crucially, they lend the money out. So if you have all of these rich people trying to lend money out, and ordinary people not spending any money, that drives interest rates down to super low levels. And crucially, it drives asset prices up to really, really high levels. So um, we've had a massive increase in inequality in the last two years. And what I'm predicting is that's going to cause a significant further increase in things like house prices, which is, yeah, obviously not good news. But poor old Rishi Sunak, I'm going to defend him. Here I am, okay. coming to his rescue. He doesn't need to be rescued because the, the BBC once portrayed him as Superman. Uh, so apparently he's a superhero. Mm. Um, they withdrew that because it was so ludicrous. Um, but look, this is a global crisis. There is a global crisis. Everyone's suffering it. That's the consequence of the pandemic, supply chain disruptions, and of course, Putin's invasion of Ukraine. So he's doing his best. Leave him alone. Okay, look, it, it, that's slightly true. You know, the, pro- the problems we have here, very similar problems in Europe, very similar problems in the US. Inflation is similar levels. Um, just because everybody else runs their economies completely idiotically, that does not give you a justification for running yours idiotically as well. Okay, look, the truth is, you know, the world have done the same everywhere. And economists have a lot to carry here, right? What this has shown is you cannot simply print hundreds of billions of pounds and give it out and think there will not be consequences. Now, it was essential to do that printing, okay? And, and every country in the world did that printing. You know, Europe did it, the US did it, all the major countries did it. We had to do it at the time. But if you're going to solve a 
crisis, the size of the Great Depression, purely by printing money, at the very least, you have to be saying, who is going to end up with this money? Who is going to end up? That should be the number one question. Who is going to end up with this money? Because the end result is the rich have ended up with an enormous amount of money. Now, if you, this is literally how 10-year-old kids think you should run the economy, right? There's a disaster. Why don't we print more money? Well, if you do, you will get inflation. Okay, and we printed an enormous amount. It all ended up with the rich. That means not only do you get inflation, but you get massive crises of inequality. So when the inflation happens, you know, in the 70s, we had inflation, but wages were going up as well. This inflation is driven entirely by giving money to rich people. And as we know, rich people don't spend much money on labor. So if you give a huge amount of money to rich people, you will get crises of inflation. It's not complicated. And what's driving me mad is that nobody's talking about it. And I'll tell you why that's driving me mad. If we don't talk about it, we're not going to fix it. And if we don't do anything about this enormous, it truly is enormous, right? 10,000 pounds per adult, 450 billion pounds. If we don't do anything about that enormous amount of cash sitting in rich people's bank accounts, it will never be fixed. And they'll use that to buy houses that the people listening now, that their kids need and that they need. And it will drive inequality up even further. Listen, I've been betting for 15 years inequality will destroy the economy. Well, inequality just got 15 years worse. We, if we don't fix this, we will have a disaster. And nobody is talking about, nobody's talking about the enormous amount of money accumulated by the rich. So I want everybody out there to understand we don't have a crisis of cost of living here. What we have is a crisis of inequality because every single pound of government debt that we have right now is a pound in the bank accounts of rich people. And it's been accumulated in the last two years. We could fix this at the drop of a hat. Look, 450 billion pounds, where did that go? In the first year of COVID, the wealth of the 250 richest individuals in the country went up 106 billion. So a quarter of that has been gone to 250 people. And the money is there. The money is there. Remember, look, he's given back £133 to each person in income tax cuts. And he gave the rich £10,000 per adult. 75 times as much. The money is there. The only way to fix this crisis is to take that money back. And it's possible. The worst thing of it all is it's fixable. It's fixable and we're not doing anything about it because people don't know how much money the rich made. And if the people did know, they wouldn't accept it. Well, if we ta- if Rishi Sunak increased taxes on the rich, then they'll all flee abroad and it will be a deterrence on success. But we've, spo- we've spoken about it. Every country has the same problem. You know, th- this is a problem that's not just happening here. It's happening in the States. It's happening in Germany. It's happening in Spain. It's happening in France. It's happening in, it's happening in Japan. Everyone has this crisis because we all- none of us are seriously dealing with taxing the rich. So never. Ha- uh, this is a disaster. This is truly a disaster what's happening. And if you think it's bad now, wait till you see what's going to happen. This is going to be truly a disaster, a humanitarian crisis of the economy in this country. And it's going to happen in every country. And that is, that is unbelievably bad, right? People are going to become homeless, right? P- seriously, people, people will die because of this, right? This is how serious this is all over the world. And that is a disaster. But it's also an opportunity for countries across the world to come together and say, look, if we don't tax the rich, it's a disaster for the rest of us. So let's actually come together and agree internationally that rich people have to pay taxes. You know, in the best world, that will come out of this. And I'm, I'm praying and hoping that it does. And I'm working every day to make sure it does. So as this former, as I said, this wunderkind Citibank trader turned economic scurry, um, <laughs> yeah. recently been, obviously you've been studying at Oxford as well on, on economics. So mixing with the kind of economic elites uh, and the economics profession elite. What is, what should have Rishi Sunak done? I mean, obviously he would have, had to stop being Rishi Sunak because <laughs> ideologically he's committed to quite a lot of things which are not not going to do the things you want him to do. Or yeah. Uh, but what what should Rishi Sunak, if he wasn't Rishi Sunak, what should he have done? Uh, so the short term response, the short term response is basically perfect. And I don't want to give Rishi credit for that because he's copied it from other countries. But you know, 
there was an emergency. You need money urgently. So massive scale printing in the short run, I think was actually the best thing to do because it meant we had the money quickly on hand. People needed that money. And if you look at countries, you know, I was in Colombia recently. They didn't provide that support. It was a disaster. You were salsa right? dancing. Yes, I was salsa dancing. We'll talk about that later if we get time. Um, but they pro provide the support. So print the money, provide the support. But also be sensible. Understand that you can't print £450 billion without consequences. Figure out where that money is going to end up. That's what I was doing right at the beginning of the crisis. Who's going to get this money? I wrote an article right at the beginning of, crisis, of the crisis. And I made videos right at the beginning of crisis saying this money will end up with the rich. £450 billion, enormous amount. So say, okay, we're printing this money, but we know it's going to end up with the rich. And we know that that's going to cause crises of inequality, cost of living, house prices, inequality. If we don't fix these, stock price rises. So say we print the money now, and in the meantime, we fix our taxation system so that the rich have to pay taxes. So that at the end of this, when the rich are sitting on their biggest ever profits, we can fix the crisis by taxing it back. You know, that's what you need to do. You need to be sensible. If you're going to print £450 billion, you better damn well know who's going to get it. And you better know how you're going to get it back. You know, you don't just give all your money away with no plan. And that's basically what we've done. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. What do you think, given the scale of the crisis, what do you think is going to happen in this country? Because obviously what we're seeing, I mean, it's predict, as, as I've said, even on current projections, average median income in this country will be barely higher than it was in 2008. That means for, for a while, people talking about the possibility of a lost decade. That is two lost decades, 20 years of falling and stagnating living standards. That is an absolutely yeah. astonishing statistic by any stretch. I mean, what yeah. does, what, 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 what's that going to do materially? Look, if we don't do anything, it will be worse than that. It will be worse than that. It will be worse than two lost decades. Because inequality doesn't fix itself. And if you don't fix your tax system, it doesn't get better. Okay? Um, and I'm not just saying this. I've been betting on this for nearly 15 years, and I've made millions of pounds doing it, right? Let's talk about the real human consequences here, right? We're talking about two, three, four thousand pounds increase in cost of living. For many, many people, for millions of people in this country, that's two, three, four thousand pounds they don't have. Okay? So we're talking about people who can't pay the rent, can't pay the mortgage, can't pay the bills, can't buy food. You know, I don't, I don't really need to lay out what the consequences of that are going to be. You know what I mean? We are going to have, we're going to have people with not enough food. And we are going to have people losing their homes. Um, you know, and that, that's just the people who are worst off, right? Even people in the middle here, they're going to lose their entire annual disposable income. Okay? Can't go shopping. Can't go to the pub. Can't go to the theatre. Can't go to the cinema. Can't have any social life. Okay? You know, that's bad enough in itself. But what does it do to the economy? Destroys local economies all over the country. Look, if you starve... 
the people in the middle, the mass, the broad mass of people in the country, you're killing your country, you're killing the economy. So, and then, and then what does that mean? It means all of the money goes to the rich. And then these people who can't afford to feed their kids, what are they going to do? They're going to sell their homes, aren't they? Of course they're going to sell their homes. So the few people left who are ordinary families in this country who are able to afford property are going to have to sell it. So ordinary people get even poorer. So the crisis gets even worse. Look, if you don't fix this, the rich will get richer and richer and richer, and the rest of us will get poorer and poorer. If you want to know the future of this country, if we don't fix this, go to India, go to Mumbai, go to the really, truly unequal places in this world and see what a truly unequal economy looks like. That is what happens. It is people unable to eat, unable to look after their families with any kind of basic dignity. That is what will happen. It's, it will not fix itself. It will not get better. If you allow the rich to get richer and you starve the rest of the country, then the rich will get richer and richer and richer and the problem will get worse. So the, the time to fix it is now. If you don't fix it now, it won't get easier. You know, I know these are terribly pessimistic predictions, but the flip side is if we actually grasp this little now, we can do something about inequality. We can make the economy so much better. But, you know, I've got to be honest to the listeners. However bad you think this is going to be, it's going to be worse and it's going to be a lot worse and things can get a lot worse in this country. I'm not just saying that I'm betting on it and I'm the guy who's been right for 13 years. So, yeah, I would encourage anyone listening to get behind me to push back, because seriously, if we don't, it will be a disaster. And, you know, I don't want to say that, but, but that's what well, will happen. Well, Gary, you, you talk about this pessimistic way, but of course, we've got Labour to come to our rescue. Um, David Bowater says Tories have given Labour an open goal, but Labour aren't even on the right pitch. He does ask what, what we had a government that took the gloves off and expropriated the assets of the rich. Don't think Labour's proposing that, let's be honest. Kieran Buckley, cost of living, which is what David is obviously referring to, cost of living crisis means only one thing. Labour wins the next general election on the landslide. Lol, just joking, we know that won't happen. What do you think about what Labour are planning? I mean, I know, obviously, I went on a bit about Rachel V's just bizarre joke about Ted Heath and his Instagram account. Um, but what do you think about Labour's policies, given the scale of the crisis? Yeah, listen, I'm not a massively political person, right? I'm an economist. I'm open to work with anyone who can prevent a disaster, okay? I'm a firefighter and this economy is on fire, okay? So if anyone out there is, is from Labour listening, get in touch with me because I want your party to be talking seriously about fixing this taxation system. And look, we run polling amongst the general public. They want a wealth tax. They want a wealth tax. They don't want this inequality. They want a wealth tax. And not only is it what people want, it is the only way to prevent an economic disaster. So, you know... I don't really know what sort of chess game is going on in their head. But look, and I know there are some people out there in Labour sometimes contact me and they want to support it. I don't know why the party's not getting behind it. Look, people want a wealth tax. People want a fairer system. People don't want billionaires paying less than 10% tax while ordinary workers pay 20, 30, 40% tax. <laughs> and it kills the economy as well. So look, I want Labour to come out and support a wealth tax realistically. And if they need help planning it or understanding how it's going to work, they can get in touch with me. Look, I'll work for free. And I'm open to work with anyone. But listen, people need an alternative. And at the moment, there's no alternative. So anyone in Labour, I would encourage you, come out, support openly a wealth tax. If you don't, it's going to be an economic disaster. And, you know, do you want that? I don't want that. So, yeah, provide an alternative. And it has to be something about meaningfully, significantly taxing the wealthiest. And a wealth tax is the way to do it. Gary, finally, how can people follow your work, support what you're doing? Um, explain. Yeah, so look, I'm out here trying to build basically a media platform so that I can push these politicians to actually do something meaningful. Um, so I've been making videos on YouTube for about coming up to a year and a half now. I would encourage people to go watch my video, right? At the, the, uh, my first video on the channel, because in that, I say what's going to happen and it's exactly what has happened, okay? I say the money will go to the rich, it will cause a crisis of inequality, inflation will go up, house prices will go up, stock prices will go up and the problem will get worse. So it's very clearly explained on there. So I'd very, 
strongly encourage people, go over and look at that first video because then you can understand what's happening. And then you can explain to your friends and your family what's happening. Secondly, I would encourage people, you know, subscribe, add me on whatever you're using, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, because that helps me build a voice. And then ultimately I can force these politicians to come in. You know, that's what I would like to do because the problem is at the moment, nobody is talking about this massive amount of money being made by the rich. Nobody's talking about it. You know, and if there anybody is out there talking about it, get in touch, I'll support you. But in the meantime, the only way we're going to stop a disaster is if we tax the rich meaningfully. I'm trying to build a platform to do that. So I would encourage people to follow me. Yeah, it's Gary's Economics, whatever you want. But the YouTube is where we have most of our best explanations. But I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, please. Gary, the message. as we said, Gary is a very a brilliant communicator. But as I said, has such a unique vantage point because let's be honest with you, not that many multimillionaire former city traders who are using a platform to fight against inequality. So the fact he has the insights of how the system actually works and also made his fortune by betting that this is an economic system which is fundamentally broken uh, and has been tragically vindicated every step of the way, I think is why we should listen to what Gary um Gary has to say. So do follow him on Twitter, Gary's Economics. That's right, isn't it? Yep. And on YouTube, uh, spread the word because, as I said, this is he's a unique voice that we all should be listening to. Gary, it's such a pleasure to have you. Thanks very much. Thanks, Owen. Speak to you soon. Brilliant stuff. Very accessible, full of passion and, as well, expertise. So it's great. That's the combination we want. That's the dream, really, isn't it? Um, right. I've got a slight change of of gear it is what we're going to talk about now um vladimir putin his invasion of ukraine is horrific barbaric unjust illegal and also going very badly wrong and we're seeing a terrible loss of life we don't know how much exactly um the fog of war makes that difficult to know there have been suggestions that up to fifteen thousand russian troops um, have died in this war and that's a similar number that the Soviet Union lost in Afghanistan but not over the space of a month that was over the space of over a decade now those are young working class Russians predominantly many of them teenagers I think if if that death toll is correct and Russia denies it and says it's much lower they've said something like 1500 um if if it was 15,000 if you looked at a map of Russia and just put your finger on a random middle-sized town i mean that means hundreds of young men have died with families friends uh you know that is such a catastrophic loss to those communities now i'm not saying this to distract from the civilian death toll caused by russia's horrific invasion of ukraine i'm saying it partly because we obviously should show humanity to people who've been sent flung into a in, into into the abyss by Putin's regime, but that's just not sustainable. I don't see how that's sustainable. This war does not seem to be going well. They've announced this supposed shift in strategy, which means they claiming they never meant to take major cities, which you kind of think they'd have to say that now because they haven't taken any major cities. They've just laid, they're laying waste to, for example, Mariupol. Um, in scenes reminiscent of what they did to Grozny, the capital of Chechnya, when the West, of course, applauded Putin. Now, that's just, we, we spoke at, at great length um, about, uh, about obviously, the war with experts on the show, people like Paul, Professor Paul Rogers, um, the Emeritus Professor of Peace Studies, uh, as well as voices from Russia, from Ukraine, um, which we're very lucky always to have. Um, what I wanted to talk about, though, and, and I think this is quite interesting, is, is what... Um, 
I suppose what Putin, Putin's intervention, uh, his recent intervention, where he spoke about JK uh, Rowling. Um, now, he did this speech, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, in which he denounced uh, the supposed cancel culture which exists in the West. And he gave an example uh, of that as JK Rowling, uh, that she's been cancelled uh, by supposed gender extremists or however you put it. Now, that was obviously extremely embarrassing for those in the West, particularly Britain, to be honest with you, who have become so obsessed and radicalised over the existence of trans people that it's essentially taken over their lives. <laughs> I mean, if you look through their Twitter threads, it's all they talk about. Now, actually, experts have made it clear, because what, what these uh, anti-trans activists online said is, well, he's trolling us. He's just trying to cause division in the West. Anyone who gives any credence to these comments is just doing playing Putin's game. Now, I'm not surprised they're saying that because it's extremely embarrassing for them, the fact that Vladimir Putin is objectively on their side. Vladimir Putin's made repeated interventions on the issue of trans people. He's compared trans people to COVID. He said they're worse than COVID, actually. Uh, he, he described uh, trans ideology as a crime against um, humanity. Uh, he's obviously a vociferously all-round anti-LGBTQ politician who's introduced a supposed so-called anti-gay uh, propaganda law. Uh, so obviously this is someone who's clamped down on the rights of LGBTQ people generally. In Chechnya, which of course was conquered by Putin, we've seen the disappearances and murder of LGBTQ people. Um, it was actually made clear by actual experts that he wasn't talking to a Western audience. He's made these comments about J.K. Rowling before. What he was doing was trying to, to, to appeal to a sense of Russian chauvinism to portray the West as this morally degenerate um, uh, civilization in, in terrible moral decline as compared to a strong, masculine, heterosexual, cisgender Russia, essentially. Uh, the, the mighty, strong, tough Russian bear against an enfeebled, effeminized West. And he's giving trans rights and the existence of trans people uh, as, a, as a striking case in point and arguing that over in, in the West, uh, those who defy this ideology, as he, put, as he describes it, which is enfeebled and effeminized the West, are vilified and ostracized. And that's why he's giving an example of J.K. Rowling. So actually, for example, Dr. Ian Garner, who's an expert in Russian propaganda, um, he, he said that he, Putin was laying out visions of the West trying to destroy history in Russia itself. Uh, he was speaking to the winners of this year's Presidential Young Artist Award. These sorts of awards are huge in Russia. Um, that's important, he said, because Putin was addressing eager young Russian minds. Uh, he began by describing Russia as multinational, but went on to praise the generations of Russian artists who've created a uniquely Russian cultural tradition. Um, now, he, he claimed that Russian culture has always been about the internal world of, of the individual. He talks about patriotic culture, has always defended Russia's uniqueness. Then he rails against Hollywood films depicting the US as the victor over Nazism because um, he, he complains, of course, that, uh, that Airbus is the role of Russia. I mean, objectively, of course, the Soviet Union did have the biggest military contribution, suffered the worst 
death toll of any country. But that led him into rolling. He he talks to young people who might be keen Harry Potter fans and tells them the West is ready to destroy the things they love. He's wrapping the destruction of innocent culture into the destruction of Russia itself. So all the rowling stuff, he said, is in line with the approach Putin's been taking for the last week or two. Russia's under attack at home and abroad. Only culture, commerce and mindset that are sufficiently patriotic and Russia, Russian nature can save you. So he says, Dr. Ian Garner, all the social media reaction yesterday, he's trying to distract us by bringing out Rowling. So he argue while he does bad things. I mean, this was preposterous. The idea that Putin's like, do you know what? I'm going to cause chaos in the West by causing Twitter beef over a children's author was always a desperate, far-fetched attempt at deflection by anti-trans activists, let's be honest. But he says himself, it was bunker. And if there's one thing you need to learn from last month, it's this, take Putin at his word. When he says something, he means it. Now, I saw some people saying, well, no, that gives credence to Putin. That makes you a Putin stooge by believing what he says. What, what does that mean? Like, if someone's a, he is a bigot. He's a bigoted authoritarian autocrat. He's, he's not pretending. <laughs> He he just is. Why does he have to lie about it? I mean, he just, that's what he believes. Anyway, what I wanted to do is segue for the final bit into um, why I think this is important and relevant. And it's actually about uh, history. It's about how history repeats itself. Because actually, the anti-trans movement, which Vladimir Putin is very much part of, um, is so much a direct echo of the anti-gay rights movement, which Putin is also very much part of, um, that the historical parallels are so uncanny in the West. And I wanted to give an example of this through the the life and works of a former chart-topping singer, a orange juice promoter, and the face of the anti-gay rights movement in the United States in the 1970s, Anita Bryan. On a crusade across the nation and try to do away with the homosexuals, uh, then we certainly would have done it on June the 8th after one of the most overwhelming victories in the country. Um, uh, but we didn't. We, we, we tried to avoid it and went into a place called Norfolk, Virginia, and were met with protest and uh, um, all kinds of problems. And uh, uh, every... Security agents, security agents. Uh, if you were listening on the podcast, that is Anita Bryan at a press conference on live television in the late 1970s being um, being hit in the face with a banana pie. That was by the gay rights activist Tom L. Higgins. Now, the reason I bring up Anita Bryan is very interesting. She was exceptionally popular in her time. Uh, she topped the Good Housekeeping magazine poll as the most admired w- a woman in America in 1978, 1979, and 1980. That was the height of her involvement in the anti-gay rights movement, where she pushed, promoted successfully, it has to be said, ordinances locally, which discriminated against gay people and their rights. There was a famous defeat she suffered when she led attempts in Florida to ban gay teachers and their allies from schools. Um, This whole incident was quite famously um, uh, portrayed in the film Milk, which was, of course, about the assassinated gay rights activist and politician, um, Harvey Milk. Um, Now, Anita Bryan, this is how she was portrayed at the time. I think this is really interesting. So there's an article from from Time magazine, which is entitled The Nation, 
the gay cot is ugly. I love the word gay cot, by the way. It's uh, a play on boycott, except it's gay cot. Love it. Homosexual militants tormenting foe Anita Bryan. She's received death threats and been socked in the face with a banana cream pie. Ooh, tasty. When she showed up in Manhattan to tape an appearance for the Today Show, NBC was so worried for her safety that guards spirited out the building after the performance. She called off a press conference at the nearby Hilton Hotel because of warnings that hostile demonstrators would be in the streets. Appearing in St. Petersburg, Florida, last week, she had to change hotels for security reasons. The victim is singer Anita Bryant, 37. Her tormentors are radical gay activists, mostly male, and their fight, a bitter one from the beginning, has taken an ugly turn. And then it talks about a feud began when she led the crusade that caused the repeal of an ordinance which banned discrimination against gay people, homosexuals, as it says here, in housing, employment, and public accommodations. Since her victory, gay rightists, gay rightists, gay rightists, I love it. Gay, I'm now a gay rightist. Gay rightists, she said, uh, have used Bryant as a symbol of what they must overcome in order to gain the full rate, rights that are still denied them. Now, it goes on about how they've tried to... Uh, the, the gays, as it says, uh, to persuade consumers to stop buying um, orange juice, um, which he promotes for the Florida Citrus Commission. But it, uh, it claims it's only had limited success. Uh, and it claims as well that there's been 85,000 letters to the commission about Bryant backing a three to one. Gay rights was not popular at the time, far less popular than trans rights today. Um, now, this is interesting because what she's being portrayed here as is the victim of a militant, violent, male, gay male mob, a woman on the receiving end of what was we now call cancel culture. Now, interestingly, uh, she spoke at great length about how she suffered at the hands, she suffered death threats. Um, so death threats, bomb threats, threats to kidnap her children, and received hate mail with human feces and voodoo dolls regularly. These were her claims. And that was used as evidence that the gay rights movement was violent and also dangerous. Now, as I mentioned, she did have a pie thrown in her face by the gay rights activist Tom L. Uh, Higgins. Interestingly, at the time, many so-called liberals came to her defence. The New York Times in an editorial said she's been threatened with violence, hit in the face with a pie, and called in principal names. Her views, we think, are benighted. Um, but she has the right to express them without suffering abuse. And somewhat, the executive director of the New York Civil Liberties Union compared her what she was going through to McCarthyism. I mean, that guy went on to support very socially conservative causes, so I think he didn't really declare his interest there. Now, she claimed at the time she was not a homophobe. She said she her stand's taken not out of homophobia, but out of love for them, that is, gay people. Um, she instead claimed to be defending children. Uh, her coalition was called Save Our Children, and she claimed the gay rights movement discriminated against children's rights. Um, finally, she set up a charitable organisation which claimed to cheat, treat children uh, and uh, provide inspiration examples of former gay people who had transitioned from being gay, supposedly. Now, today she's not seen as a victim. She's seen as uh, she's seen as somebody who is uh, made life considerably harder, of course, uh, for for gay people. Um, her her granddaughter came out as gay. <laughs> Doesn't know she's going to invite uh, Anita to her wedding at the time. This was last year. Why do I bring this up? Because the gay rights movement was portrayed as dangerous and violent and militant in a sinister way. That's how the trans rights movement is portrayed today. It's exactly the same. 
you can re- look through what I just gave you. Children being threatened by this is a dangerous mob, cancel culture. We can't even debate and discuss things anymore because of these militant uh, LGBTQ activists. It's exactly the same. History repeats itself. And that's how I wanted to end. Uh, it's been great, as ever. Thank you for watching the show. We've got lots of stuff coming on. I am, I'm not going to mention my book, can't do it. Um, I want to thank uh, David, my battery's about to run out because I didn't plug my computer in. So if I suddenly switch off, that's why. Thanks to David Barata, Kieran Buckley and Tad Campwell as ever. Um, we will be back next Sunday, but I'm going to now post on Patreon asking people for ideas for interviews. So if you want to support us on Patreon, you can do that. And I'm go- and we're doing documentary based on the suggestions which have already been put forward. So do support us on patreon.com slash ownjoes84. It's a race against time before my, back- my, my, my computer turns off. Lots of love, everyone. Thanks to Gary Stevenson. Thanks for watching this show, everyone. Really appreciate it. Take care. I was going <laughs> to pass on my love and take care of yourselves. That's what Jerry Springer did. Anyway... Hope you're all having a great time and lots of love. And I will see you soon. Take care. Please support this channel for independent thought, discussion of the most important issues that we face. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope you found that informative, educational, uh, interesting, and I certainly did. Uh, do support us on Patreon to keep the show on the road, uh, forward slash Jones 84 Leave us some stars, that'd be nice. Spread the word. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.